My name's Colin. Uh, I'm traveling to you for my first time in Durham. Um, so I'm, I know, thank you. It's good to be with you. Uh, so I'm from, I don't know whether to introduce myself as from the South or from South Africa. Which would be better, do you think? I know, yeah. I just think the South Africans probably go down better up here than maybe the South does. So that's why I'm claiming my South African card today. Um, so I'm married, I've got three kids. Uh, some of you will know the guy called Mark Dupont. Yeah? That's, he's a well-known character up here, hey? How many of you have had a prophetic word from Mark Dupont? How was that? Was that, was it life-shaping for you? <laughs> Trying to remember now, aren't you? <laughs> what was it he said? I, d- I do remember that guy. I remember, yeah, he did say something. What was it? Uh, in 2017, uh, I was, I'd been in South Africa then for just over a, a year. And, uh, we've got some drums going on in the background. I was in South Africa for just over a year by then. And, um, we had a conference there. Some of you may even have been there. It was in, in Clarence. They, uh, did this, did this, uh, big thing with Mark and, uh, then some of the leaders gathered together with him and he prophesied over me it was kind of like my first taste of Mark Dupont and he said to me uh, he said I can see you uh, as a fire starter and you're like a spark plug and I can see you going across Africa I can see you in the north I can see you in the south I can see you in the east and the west and you're wherever you're going you're you're like you're starting fires, and those fires are catching, and there's fires all over the continent. And I'm standing there going, yo, he's got the wrong guy here. <laughs> I, who is this? I, it's my first time meeting this guy, Mark Dupont, and I was thinking, sure, we paid an airfare for this guy and everything. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, and those around me, uh, Paul was one of them, thinking the same as me. I think he's got it a bit wrong. At the, at the time, I was, I'd moved with my family uh, from the south coast of England. I'd been leading a church in, in Worthing in, on the south coast for, for 12 years at that time. And we felt God asking us to move over to South Africa and to serve the people of the churches there. My kids at the time were 15, 13, and 9. And... Uh, we sold our house. Okay, God. We're all in. We're moving. We know that, you know, we don't really understand how it's all going to work. We know we're entering a different world, but we're following you. And probably, you know, at this point, 2017, I've been there just over a year. And it was like, it wasn't a very good time for us, honestly. <laughs> we were struggling there with culture. My uh, kids were hating their schooling. My son was mugged at knife point and was suffering traumatic stress. He was dropping out of school. You know, there was trouble. The, the church planting team that uh, I thought was gonna, we were going to go and take this town for Jesus and it was in disarray. <laughs> there were people uh, fighting all over the place. There was horrendous stuff going on. And there's me just saying, God, 
you've got the wrong person here. <laughs> I, there's not exactly a fire starting in Bloemfontein, I can, I can promise you that. And uh, over the next few years, of, you know, actually quite painful years at times, um, suddenly started realizing that God wasn't talking to me about church planting as such as I thought it was. And as I found, as I, as I you know, just tried to support uh, some of the pastors, some of the leaders that I was connected to, traveled a little bit, saw their churches and saw some of their needs, I realized, my goodness, there's a huge need here for good training and decent teaching that teaches people how to handle the whole Bible, like the whole story of the Bible, not just little bits of it, but how the whole thing fits together. And I started writing material, which, you know, just for uh, local guys, and I did a little mini conference and stuff like that, gathered some of our guys together, taught them this stuff. They were like scratching their heads. Is this, you know, we'd never heard some of this stuff before. And, and out of those little beginnings, I started getting others interested in that. And suddenly this stuff, it was like these fires just started to light and take off. And so, I mean, I, I don't know now exactly. I've trained hundreds and hundreds of church leaders now around Africa and Pakistan, Myanmar. And, you know, with some of this stuff, looking at the story of the Bible as a whole. How does it work, fit together, and how does Jesus fit in the center of it, if you like? And... It's been one of those things, I, I've brought you a little bit, I, I'm, um, the reason why Paul and I are here, by the way, we're doing a bit of a tour um, around churches, it's because we're just launching a, a charity in the UK, which is going to support some of this training work, because what we found is the needs are so massive, but we can't do it on our own. And we're just finding partners, people who want to be joining with us to kind of help us to, to do this stuff and to, and to bring the training that we've developed. So I've got a couple of things which you're welcome to have a look at. If you like the look of it, you can even take one, all right, because this is my gift. You guys are so generous that you know how generosity begets generosity. So there you go. I've got two of them. You can. They're so generous. But anyway, there's, so there's one on the, the, the story of the Bible, biblical theology, as I've called it, or an introduction to it. It's, there's a, it's a massive subject, but... Um, and then there's this one on the in being empowered by the Spirit. So Alan tells me that some of you need that. So um. <laughs> anyway, you're welcome to have a little look through. And yeah, if you'd like to, you can take one. I run a I run a an online course actually. That um, if you if some of this takes your fancy, I'm really happy to have you included in a. In a course that I do, it's an eight-week course teaching you more about how the Bible holds together and how to interpret the Bible, okay? So some of you will think that's a great idea. Others are thinking, why on earth should we need that? I'm going to try and show you a little bit today from just from a small scripture, just how the story of the Bible fits together. So, excuse me a moment. I can, I'm all over the place here. Hmm. We arrived on Wednesday, and it's been a blur ever since, really. Um, in the meeting, I was thinking, am I feeling the Holy Spirit here? 
Or is this just jet lag? Because I feel like I'm floating here. <laughs> and I wasn't sure. Mm. Okay. If you've got a Bible, turn to 1 Peter, chapter 1. I'm just going to keep to two verses. So, this is the NIV version. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Peter. Remember him? Peter, the apostle. Actually, he wasn't just an apostle, was he? Peter, the fisherman. Peter, the follower. Peter, the failure. Peter, the restored father. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Crucially, this was a guy who'd been trained by Jesus. Okay, Bible trivia time. I ask all the, all the pastors, I ask this. How many days between the resurrection of Jesus and the ascension? How many days? 40. John, gold star. Well done. 40 days. Okay. Question number two. What did Jesus do in the 40 days between the resurrection and the ascension? Go on. Breakfast. He had a breakfast. Fasting. I don't remember fasting. I remember feasting for sure. Yep, so go on. What was he doing? I mean, imagine, like, 40 days is quite a long time. You think about it. You know, a month and a half. Got six-week holiday. What are you going to do? Yeah, you're hanging out with the disciples. What's he doing? He was teaching them. What was he teaching them? Yes, very good. He was teaching them. So if you read Luke 24, you read Acts chapter 1, you find out, yes, that's exactly what Jesus was doing. For 40 days, Jesus was basically doing an intensive Bible school. He was going through the scriptures and teaching them where he appeared in the scriptures. He was telling them the story. The biblical story was suddenly coming together in Christ the resurrected Son of God. It was coming together. All the things, that the, the threads that had started way back in creation were now coming together. And Jesus was finally able to teach his disciples. And he spent 40 days teaching them this stuff. Imagine being there. Wouldn't you want to be there? Wouldn't you have loved that? To be with Jesus, resurrected Jesus, going through the Scriptures for 40 days. Wouldn't you have loved to have read some of the stuff that came out of that? This is what we're doing now. Peter is writing. Let's read. To God's elect, strangers 
in the world, scattered through Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling by his blood. You probably have read that a few times if you've read the Bible at all. And, you know, you kind of, it's the introduction. Get onto the meaty stuff. I want to try and teach you how this holds together the full story of the scriptures. Okay? So, see if you can stay with me in this. To God's elect strangers in the world, or to God's exiles. Who's got the ESV? Yeah, good on you. Well done. That's a much better translation. I don't know why I've got my NIV. Can someone read that for me at first? Right. Okay. The elect exiles of the dispersion. You know, exile is one of those words that kind of has lots of nuances. It's like, it's part of the Jewish story. Peter was a Jew, and he'd been brought up on a story of the Jewish people. So when he uses these terms, particularly now that he's been trained by Jesus, we need to take care. What does he mean by this? To God's elect exiles of the dispersion. So, exile. Well, you'll think, first of all, okay, we remember Daniel and the Babylonian exile. We remember people of Israel being taken out of their land, or Judah taken out of their land and put into Babylon for 70 years. And so that was their kind of most recent understanding of exile. But the, but the term exile, get, well, the, the idea goes back way beyond that. So exile, the first kind of understanding that the Jews had would have been of actually the Garden of Eden. That's the the place where exile started, as you know. Adam and Eve were created in the image of God in partnership, to be partners with God, to represent God to the world, to to rule over creation. You remember that? That's the, that's the, the, the mandate that they received. That was their, that was their purpose in life. I made you to be like me and to do what I'm doing in ruling over creation. You're to do it with me. That was the mandate originally. And when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, you know what happened? There was, a, there was an exile that took place. And so for the Jewish mind, it's like the whole of humanity are living in exile from their original purpose. Inside the garden was order. It was beauty. There was life. Outside the garden, there was decay, chaos, and death at work. And whenever death is at work, according to the Jewish mind, you're in exile. And Peter is writing to these people and saying, yeah, how are you doing living in exile? How are you doing in this place of death and decay? It's tough. That's where we are. That's the the world we live in, outside of God's best, where chaos and suffering 
decay is all over the place. You don't have to go far to find it, do you? In your families, in your friendship groups, even in your personal lives. It's there. We all suffer. Peter's big, Peter's big message in this book is about hope in suffering. That's what, he's, that's what he wants to go on and teach. You can read it for yourself. But he's saying, you know what? We are in exile. You guys are in exile. Part of the story. But you're not just any old exiles, are you? You're not just those exiles that are out there dying, decaying. No, you're God's elect. Read on. Who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. You're not any old exiles. You've been chosen. God's chosen you. God himself, he knows you. He knows you by name. He chose you. Each of us, according to my understanding of the Bible, God chose. It's a funny concept, that really, isn't it? Like if I chose one of you, you know, out of all these beautiful faces, I choose Keith. Is it? No, I'm not sure. <laughs> Keith, how do you feel being chosen? I feel special. Do you? Why? Because I have. Yeah. It make you feel special. But you don't know what I've chosen you for yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you do this too, do you? Yeah. Here's the point, though. Being chosen isn't necessarily a good or a bad thing. Being chosen in itself, who knows? And the truth is, we as Christians can get very much, what can I say? We we make a big thing about this thing of being chosen. Some hate it. Some love it. Many of us in theological circles will argue about it. But very few people are asking, chosen for what? What's the point of being chosen? Do you ever stop and ask yourself that? When, you, when you're starting to think about these issues... Chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. Chosen for what? Christians, sometimes we need to stop celebrating the fact that we're chosen by God and how special we are and start asking, well, what has God chosen us for? Why did he choose us? There's a purpose in the choosing of God. It's great to be God's exiles, Fantastic. We know God's with us. We know that we aren't on our own in this world of death and suffering. That's great. But why did God choose you? Every Christian needs to ask that question. Why did God choose you? It says it in the passage, if anybody was watching. 
Go on. Give it a bash. Chosen for what? Obedience. Yes. Obedience and... The sprinkling. All right. Yeah, that's what it was for. Through the power of the Spirit, we aren't doing anything unless we're filled with the Holy Spirit. But we're chosen for a purpose. Obedience. Let's just sit there for a minute, shall we? Because churches that I've ever known, we, we think... By giving people knowledge, that makes them better Christians. We think discipleship is all about a transference of knowledge. Well, certainly for me, became a Christian. The first thing they did said, "Hey, here we go. There's a booklet here, and it tells you how to what passages to read in the Bible, and you can read it. And if you read all those passages, you read it all in a year." You ever had one of those? Yeah. Did you manage to get through it, anyone? Yeah, some of you did. I did two years. Read through the Bible twice. Never understood a word of it. But I, but I read it. I read it faithfully for two years. It was a King James version that I found on my mum's bookshelf. And I read it through. I had no idea what it was talking about. But I read it. Did I obey it? <laughs> Do you know, this, this is one of the big things in our circles. That we try and... We try and bring discipleship through knowledge. There's a very hit and miss way to bring discipleship. It's not actually the biblical way. Jesus said, go make disciples, teaching them what? To obey everything I've taught you. Listen, obedience to Jesus. That's what you're chosen for. Because you've got a job to do. You are called for a purpose. Each of us called for a purpose. Here living in exile, we're called for a purpose. And unless we learn, brothers and sisters, to be obedient to Jesus, we don't get to fulfill the purposes of God for our time. We don't. He's got such wonderful things planned for us. But it takes courage. It takes an obedience that says, okay, yes, to giving or to forgiving people that have hurt you. Yes, to going, if that's what God asks you to do. Yes, to helping others to go, helping to support those who are already there. Helping, going into the places that you probably would rather not go to, even in Durham. Obedience to God, obedience to Jesus. This is the key It's all very well being filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, prophesying your hearts out. Obedience is what will bring the fruit. Obedience and the sprinkling of his blood. What a strange term that is, isn't it? Sprinkling of his blood. You start to take that to too much to heart. What is that picture in your mind? For the Jew, it was very obvious. For Peter, it was very clear what he was talking about because he was raised in this temple system. Going right the way back to Moses and the tabernacle. 
And in the eyes of the Jews, they understood living in exile meant living in a place that was polluted by death. Everywhere, death, all around. That's what they they understood. And the reason God was not present with the people on earth was because the power of death was there. And the only way that God and man could meet together was if death was dealt with. So what did they do? In order for the temple to be a place that God could dwell in, they needed to cover the death with life. You know where the life is? It's life's in the blood. So the priests had to cut this innocent animal, take the blood, and then they sprinkle. Sprinkle it on all the utensils, on all the holy places, on the most holy place. They would sprinkle it. You can imagine that out in the desert, can't you? Sprinkling this blood everywhere to, to cleanse it. We think of it the other way. It's like, yo, blood, that's disgusting. <laughs> that's not clean. No, but to the Jewish mind, that's what cleanses. That's what gets rid of death. You understand? So you're being, he's saying, you buy, not by animal's blood. It's just a picture. It was just a part of the story that was pointing ahead to something much greater. But Jesus' blood, the blood of the innocent Son of God, the blood of the eternal Son that was shed to cleanse us, to sprinkle us, to get rid of the pollution of death over our lives. You see, when you're living in exile, you become polluted. You start to take on all the guilt and the shame and the fears and the anxieties of the world around you, don't you? You do that. We do it all the time. We, we live in a culture. We don't realize how much that culture will shape us. Sometimes actually going outside your culture and you come back and look in and go, hey, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I never realized that was it before. Hey, the Brits are so comfy, aren't they? We love to have our comfort. Love to just, you know, we'll go so far and, yeah, this is where as far as we'll go. Yes. You, suddenly you start seeing things like that. When you, I mean, when I was in it, that was, you know, I was part of it. And now suddenly I'm kind of outside of it. And, yeah, you know, there's a freedom to being outside of that. Sometimes you don't realize that. We get affected by the world around us. And we need cleansing. We need to be cleansed by this blood to take away the shame, take away the fear, take away the guilt that we're living with so often as his people. Why? Because you're chosen. Because the spirit is at work in you. And because he wants to bring life in the place of death. You see, we haven't got to the end of the story yet, have we? We, have to, we actually have to go into verse 3 to see the end of the story. Where he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who in his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You want to know the end of the story? What does it look like? Well, you've got a glimpse just there. It's the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus, the bodily resurrection of Jesus is like a little glimpse of what's going to happen to the whole world, to the whole universe, actually. That's how the Bible talks about the end of the story. And for us who are living in exile, this is a cause of great hope and joy for us. Because what do we see in the resurrection of the body of Jesus We see something that was frail, that was perishable, that was mortal, that was overcome by death. And we see it raised to life, immortal, imperishable, never again to suffer under the power of death. That's what we see in Jesus' body. Death has no power over him anymore. He's raised to life forever. Nothing can, can, can now bring Jesus down to say, no, we're going to overcome you by death again. Nothing. No power can do that. Jesus is alive forever. His body, even though it carries the scars, is now glorified. Heaven and earth have come together in the physical body of Jesus. It's a new creation. It's not like anything we've seen before. It's not physical and it's not spiritual. It's both together. The physical and the spiritual worlds have come together in the body of Jesus Christ, in his resurrection. And you know, when we see him, we will be like him. Your body is going to be the same as Jesus. I don't know what scars you carry now. What things that you think, oh my goodness, will I ever be free of those? Will those things ever stop haunting me? In the end, in resurrection, let me tell you, those scars are going to be glorious. The pains and the sufferings that you've gone through now will one day result in great honour and glory and praise. You shouldn't be ashamed of those scars. You should be celebrating the grace of God in bringing you through them. One day you'll look at those and you'll see them in a completely different light. One day resurrection, not just of Jesus, not just of us, but the whole of creation is going to be brought into liberation from the bondage to decay that you see now. There is no more war and poverty and injustice and suffering. One day, it's all going to be dealt with and Jesus is going to reign supreme forever on the earth with his people. It's going to be glorious. We've been born into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We get a foretaste now. And do you know what? We get to live Something of that life now here. The resurrection life now. There's a now and a not yet, I know. People do suffer. People do die here now, even amongst us. But we start to taste the age to come right now. And it's glorious. It's wonderful. And that's why Peter says this. You are scattered, says the NIV. Or dispersed. Was that the ESV? The, the, the Greek word diaspora. You heard that term. The diaspora. Yeah, the people who are, they've been scattered. It's actually, it's a farming term. 
don't know if you knew that. It really means to be sown. It means to be sown. God has placed you. It's not like you've been just scattered. You've been sown. You've been sown here in Durham. What's been sown here? In exile, in a place of death, there's life. There's a place where people can find the life of God. There is a life within you that can go out from you into the world of death that's around you. That's what Peter is starting to tell you. And, he, and he, he's telling us through this book that the hope that comes from this resurrection is so powerful that people will even start asking you to give a reason for the hope that's within you. In a place of death and exile, there is hope for the people of God. And in such a way, people will start to say, surely, you guys have got something here maybe we need. Just in, in our context, I haven't been able to tell you much about uh, where we are now. We're in a, a little place uh, near Durban in, in uh, South Africa. Huge issues around. Um, but just one quick story. There's a, there's a place not far from where we meet as a church. Where will the prostitutes go? These are young girls who are, um, most of them addicted to drugs. One particular drug uh, of choice there that that is a really nasty thing. And it's so painful to withdraw from it that none of them do. And so there's a community there and they've never seen anybody kick this drug. So fairly new. Been around, what, five, six years or something? And they've never seen anybody set free from this drug. It's it's destroying these neighbourhoods. And through... Paul's wife, actually, Shannon, and some other ladies meeting with these prostitutes and just, it's like life going into the place of death, isn't it? It's like life just, just saying, we're not here, we're, we're not here just to enjoy life amongst us, but it's life going into the places of death and finding where life can spring up by planting new seeds. And this dear young lady, Noxolo, a prostitute that was, uh, I guess in her early twenties, that um, that decided she could come off this drug, and uh, through that, her brother, also Sabello, said, "I want to come off drugs as well. Would you help me?" And 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 actually, these two are the first in their community to ever come off this drug. I mean, it's amazing because, and and they're known now in that community. People stop them on the street as they're walking along. Help us. And Paul, Paul gets stopped regularly in this community because they know he was so involved in it. Help us to get off. Can you help us? And actually, I mean, it's a long road. I'm not saying it's all easy, plain sailing. It's a long road. But there is life happening in the places of death, places where there was never any hope of life, where they've lost hope. And the church of the living hope of the resurrection are coming in saying, no, this isn't the end. There is hope. There is healing to be found in Christ. And, and Sabello, I know two weeks ago, he got his first job, first like legal job, I think. You know, ever since he's 27 now, he's been, he's been stealing for all of his life. 
to support various things and drug habits and stuff like that. And he's got his first, two weeks ago, got his first job. This is a place where there's literally, well, I would say almost complete, amongst the young people, complete unemployment. Am I right? Are there anybody working in those communities? Maybe maybe a, a few, very few jobs. And, you know, and he's like, and we prayed with him. I think it was probably about three weeks ago. We were in this little shack praying with him. God, give him this job. And, and suddenly he gets a job. And, and now he's working. Now he can start to dream again of what life could be. You must have your stories in your communities. Obviously, be different from ours. But you know the places that God has put in your hearts. Many of you. Places of darkness. Places where you know death is at work. And you're like seeds that have been planted there. Seeds of life that God has put there to bring hope and to bring a future. To say this isn't the end for you. You can't do it on your own, can you? Unless the Holy Spirit is powerfully upon you. But when the Spirit says go, and you're feeling weak, you're feeling like, what have I got to do? How on earth can I? That's the time to say, Jesus, obey. I want to go. I want to do what you tell me to do. To bring the life that you've called us. Because one day, it's all going to be glorious. And whether we see what's put, what God's put in your heart, whether you see it in your lifetime or not, doesn't really matter, actually. There are things that God puts in people's hearts and, and we think it's all got to happen in our lifetime. No. If that's true, your vision's too small. You, actually, you, we, we're always building into the next generation to see the next people come and go further than us. But we, we mustn't just shy back and say, it's too big, it's too difficult, it's, it's not appropriate for me. What's Jesus saying? Can we pray? Thank you, Lord. pray for you personally at the moment and uh, this strange picture of the the sprinkling of the blood over your life because we know there are areas that get polluted and infected by death. Maybe there are areas of your life that you just know haven't really been fully healed. Maybe areas of your life that you know living in exile just has had its taken its toll on you disappointments, fears, things that uh, you wish had never happened and that have happened. And you know that may have just brought a, a dampening of your spirit and a losing of your hope. Just allow God to speak now. Let the blood of Jesus wash 
over you. Cleansing you from that guilt. From that shame. Jesus, move in our hearts. Move in our minds. You know the things that we haven't even told our dearest friends that we live with that do affect us even in the night sometimes wake us up, Lord. I pray that your blood would cover us today. That we would daily know what it is to be washed in the blood. To to feel the life-giving power of the blood of Jesus in our lives. Washing us clean from all guilt and, and stains of sin. Setting us free in our consciences to walk with you closely. Jesus, bless your people today. Set us free. Lord, we really want to be free. It was for freedom you set us free. We don't want to be held back in any way. Father, keep going. Keep moving by your spirit. Even deep personal things, Lord, we bring to you now. For some of us, Lord, we, I just want to pray you would stir up again some of those places that you've put within our hearts, Lord. Things that we haven't actually known what to do with, maybe. Places that are dark. Places that don't seem to have any Christian witness. Maybe it's our workplace. Maybe it's our school or college. Maybe it's the, uh, the road that you live in. or It's just relationships that you're aware of. Maybe it's an, a passion for a particular type of people that you know, the homeless, the, the, the addict, the abused. What is it that God's put in your heart that you're saying to him, yeah, Lord? Is this time What's your spirit saying to me? What are you doing? How can I respond in obedience to you? What is he saying? it would be appropriate to pray in particular if you really feel there's something that you, God's called you to whether you know you, you want to admit exactly what it is or not but you know that you need the power of God because you're not capable of it yourself just love you to stand where you are and we'll get some people around you to pray with you would you just stand like right now and we'll, we'll gather thank you Lord Thank you, Jesus.
Come on, you all, I know you'd love to pray, you guys. So just get around these people and just like lay hands, pray the Spirit of God's power upon them. If you feel like you've got words of prophecy, then it would be great at the moment to, to bring them, to stir people in that. Thank you, Jesus. Go on, keep praying. That'd be great.